A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus took Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say, he was so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. So you may be seated and the children can come up for a children's homily. Hey, good to see everybody. I brought with you one of my favorite lamps. Did you know this was a lamp? It's, let me show you. You did. It's kind of cool because it, it, well, first of all, it looks like an old well, doesn't it? And then you can see that it's got pictures, but look what happens when I turn the light on. Oh, the pictures all light up. In this cool seat, we've got a horse and we've got a beautiful. A lake and there's a house, a barn but there. It's it, the lever. Well, if it was a well, you'd pump that lever up and down, and water would come up. That was where we got water back in the olden days. That's right, long time ago. And it's got a cowboy's. I always liked this lamp because it had cowboys. And I've had this lamp since I was about your age. That makes this lamp, oh, probably over a hundred years old. <laughs> Not quite that old. But it's, uh, let's see, I probably got this lamp around 1950, 1955, something like that. It's an old, old lamp. That's older than your mom. Your mom wasn't even born then. Your mom wasn't even born then. I am really old. <laughs> His grandpa wasn't even born then. So, yeah, this is an old lamp. But I always liked it because when you turn the light on, you could see the pictures. And actually, I, I used to have some more lamps like this, but old light bulbs get really hot. Well, he's alive in heaven, and you, yeah, he lives with Jesus, and that's good. So, but anyway, I always liked this because I could see the pictures, and they're kind of faded, but at least this lamp is still together. So I had others that the, the heat from the bulb oh, burned up. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that house. Yeah, because it's a really cool lamp, isn't it? Yeah, but this is my lamp, and I'm going to keep it because I've had it for a long time. But I want to tell you something. Like a hundred years. <laughs> Maybe you can have it for another, like, maybe you can have it for 500 
If I could have for 500 years, that means I'd have to take this lamp to heaven with me. 100 years. Okay, we're getting well, we're getting way out there now. So, you know, in the in the gospel today, Jesus was kind of like this lamp because he began to glow, didn't he? He, 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 he his light started coming all out of him, and he was it was like really amazing. And the disciples were there, couldn't they were afraid. They'd never seen anybody glow like that. They thought they knew who Jesus was, that he was kind of like everybody else. He was like their buddy and it's all cool. But why did Jesus glow? Why did Jesus glow? Was it because God blessed him and he was so happy that he glowed? glowed? What kind of God Jesus was is God. He's God in the flesh. And so the glory of God was always inside of him, but he kept it hidden. But then he wanted to shine like this for his disciples to see so that they could be encouraged because Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem to be, to be killed. And he was afraid the disciples might lose their faith. So he wanted to let them know how powerful he was and for them not to be afraid, even if he was put to death. Because then he told them he would rise from the dead, which he did. And that's why we have Easter. And is that why he, he was dead once and then he uh, went alive again? That's right. He died, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. That's why. That's what Easter is all about: Jesus rising from the dead. It's like we have the crucifix behind oh, us. Oh yeah, like on Easter, was that the day that Jesus rose from the dead? That's right. That's what Easter is. Very good. That's right. You know a lot. You're pretty smart. You want to? You want to preach this? This? This homily? <laughs> All right, you guys go back to your seats. Thanks so much for coming up. In times like this, I feel like Art Linkletter. That was 100 years ago too, wasn't it? It's a wonderful gospel story. I love this passage, and we get to look at it, reflect on it each year as we come into Lent. But there are a couple of things that I think sometimes confuse people that uh, they don't quite understand. And uh, so I'll try to explain a few little tidbits about the story. And one of them is why Moses and Elijah, why did they appear to be with Jesus? And well, what part of that is because in, in the Jordan of Jewish law, for anything to be established as truth, as fact, it had to be witnessed by two people. It had to be two witnesses. And so Jesus, who is the Son of God, was witnessed by Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. So that the, the law and the prophets witness to Jesus as God's Son. And so that's why Moses and Elijah appeared there. And then What's the business with the tents? You know, what, what is Peter, a Boy Scout, that he says, okay, let's, hey, we're all here. Let's all build tents. Somebody knows. We build tents. Well, it's actually because this event occurs in a, in a festival that they celebrated in ancient Israel. In fact, they still celebrate, called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents. And in the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents to celebrate their exodus from Egypt into the promised land through the desert, they, they, they go live in tents for a couple of weeks. And that's it's how they celebrate 
this transition from slavery into the promised land because they lived in tents in the desert. Uh, interesting, a friend of mine, um, um, Mordecai Kahanov was his name. He was a, he was a captain in the Israeli Defense Force, uh, had a tank, battal uh, tank regiment. Anyway, he, um, during the, the Yom Kippur War, that's right, during the Yom Kippur War, um, it happened during the Feast of Booths. And so they were supposed to be living in, in tents, and so they had to get very, very dark tents to live in in the, in the Sinai during the war so that the, the lights couldn't shine out. So they had to have special, specialized tents for this. But anyway, that's an aside. So that's why Peter says, let's build some tents, celebrate the Feast of Booths. So, now I want to tell you another story. Now this is a personal story, and this is a story that um, it's actually embarrassing. And I feel like probably some of you have embarrassing stories too, but I won't ask you to share them with everybody. Um, and this happened when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, one, of the, one, of, uh, one summer, I went out and worked with some, uh, some college students from a local college, and we were collecting specimens for the biology department. So we traveled around. We went rattlesnakes hunting down in, in uh, southwest Texas, and we um, uh, did lots of things to collect specimens, and we spent uh, a good deal of time on the Texas coast, there on the Gulf Coast, and we were collecting uh, marine specimens. So we did a lot of snorkeling and seining, and we got lots of crabs and lots of jellyfish, and, and a, we got a lionfish while we were out there, and all kinds of really cool stuff that we, we pulled out of the Gulf to be as specimens. And one particular day, we'd been out in the surf uh, all day long, snorkeling and, and collecting things, and and categorizing them and setting them all apart and, and doing all those things you do when you're uh, specimen hunting. And by mid-afternoon, we went back to the little house that we had rented that we were all staying in. And I was exhausted. Some of you, maybe some of you because we live in Missouri, may not have spent a day on the ocean, but if you spend a day out in the surf, fighting the surf all day long and, and diving or snorkeling, it can get really tiring. You can be really tired. And so I got back to our little house and I was beat and I said, I gotta lay down guys, I'm, I'm exhausted. So I laid down and I went to sleep and I slept through the night, it was the next morning, I wake up, wasn't expecting to sleep that long, but as I look out the window, I see the sun rising. And I think, oh my goodness, I slept all night long. I, can't, I wasn't expecting that, it was really a long time, but I was really tired so, and I'm hungry. I was in the surf all day. I just slept all night. I was hungry. So I went to a little cafe nearby and got breakfast, right? I had like a bacon, egg, and lettuce, and tomato, and cheese, or whatever. Got some kind of sandwich, some kind of breakfast sandwich. And uh, sat there, ate that, drank a lot of coffee, just kind of, you know, get things moving here. And so after I had breakfast, I walked outside and um, was faced with one of the greatest terrors of my life. It was pitch black outside. I was shocked. What's it doing? It's dark. And it's not just like an eclipse. I'd seen an eclipse before and it gets kind of twilighty, right? Doesn't really get dark, not pitch black. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying, my mind is racing. Of course, I'm still trying to wake up and my mind is racing, trying to make sense out of this. And, and I admit, 
I thought of the line where Jesus says at the end of the world, the sun will refuse to give its light. And I thought, it must be the end of the world. The sun has quit on us. And as my mind is racing, trying to make sense of this, suddenly I realized that I was looking at the world 180 degrees in the wrong direction. I'm in a rental house, so I really didn't know too well which direction the windows faced, but it wasn't a sunrise I had witnessed, it was a sunset. And it wasn't nine o'clock in the morning, it was nine o'clock at night. And suddenly the whole, my whole world just kind of turned around. When I realized what had happened, I was looking at the world 180 degrees out. So after that, I went back to the house. We played some cards, you know, and stayed up late because I just had a several hour nap and drank a bunch of coffee. But we stayed up late, played cards, and finally went, got back to sleep. But I bring up that story because in an experience like the transfiguration, we realize that perhaps we have been looking at the world 180 degrees out. We only see a piece of the world, a piece that we think is the real world, but it's not, it's not the real truth, or at least the complete truth that we are experiencing. We need to turn around and look the other direction. Peter and James and John, who are with Jesus on this experience, they have always seen Jesus as a buddy, one of them, their teacher, to be sure. But, you know, if you've been um, watching Chosen, the, the, the YouTube uh, tale of the life of Christ that I've been recommending, you see that, that they're friends, they're buddies, they're, they're living together, they're moving around together, they're working together. They had seen Jesus in the flesh. They knew Jesus was flesh. But in this experience, they see Jesus as the Word. They see him in his full spiritual glory. They see him for who he truly is. That he is not just Jesus, a man in the flesh. He is the Word made flesh. In fact, St. John, who witnessed this event, that's how he describes Jesus in his gospel. The Word made flesh. Both Word and flesh. That they had seen reality one way and suddenly they realized it was something entirely different. Now just think of, think of our experience, what we know about the quantum world, all right? We all sit in these pews. We know they'll hold us up because they're solid, but then we learn, well, they're not really solid. They're just mostly vacant space and and a little pieces of energy vibrating around inside of them. How do they hold us up? I don't know. Higgs bosons, right? Higgs bosons make it work. But anyway, the world is different than how we perceive it. So often we're looking 180 degrees in the wrong direction. There is a spiritual reality. I love what, um, St. Peter says, in Christ we live and move and have our being. We think we live in Kansas City. But St. Peter says, no, you live and move and have your being in Christ. Living in a spiritual reality, not 
just the material reality, but we get so focused on the materialness around us that we miss it, that we don't see it. If Christ is all and is in all, isn't he everywhere we are? Isn't, does he underline, every, underline everything that we, we experience, everything we know, everything we see? I have a friend who likes to describe it this way. He says, we're just swimming in God. Everywhere we go, we're just swimming in God. I like that. But we get so focused on the material, we miss the spiritual reality. Now, a lot of the saints, think of St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese de Lisieux, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Hildegard of Bingen, they all saw the spiritual reality that, that we live in. St. Hildegard talks about everything being comprised of light, just as the, the disciples saw that Jesus himself was made of light. Everything is made of light. But we just don't experience that way because we are looking at the, its materiality, not at its spirituality. So what am I trying to, what point am I trying to make in this? Really, there are only two things, only two points that I want to make out of this, this reflection on the experience of the transfiguration. And one of them is this. We are never alone. Think of Jesus on the mountain. God, his father is in the cloud above him. Moses and Elijah are standing on either side. They were always there. The apostles just didn't see them until that instant. We are never alone. We who have been baptized, who become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. St. Teresa of Avila says the God, the fullness of the Godhead is enthroned in the center of our being. We are never alone because our God is always with us. And not only is God with us, but the angels and the saints, they are with us too. That's how we can call upon the angels and the saints to intercede for us, call for their help, know that their ministry is with us. We don't see it because we're looking in the wrong direction. But they are there. They are there. So often we can feel overwhelmed by the events of this world. But we are not encountering them alone because our God, the angels and the saints are always with us as we go through this life. And this brings with me to the second point. Because we are not alone, we are never powerless. Whatever we face, whatever we go through in this life, all the troubles and the disturbances of this life, Jesus promised that we would have troubles in this life. We should never be surprised by that. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have a friend who's a Baptist preacher. Um, early in my ministry, I was working as a youth evangelist at a Methodist church. He was the youth pastor at a Baptist church down the street. And he was a bit of a crazy man. Um, and he used to really get upset when anyone would use the, the, the phrase, under the circumstances. You ask somebody, how you doing? It's, well, I'm doing fine under the circumstances. Well, if you said that to him, he would, he would jump on your case. He would start 
um, you know, saying, don't say that, never say that. What are you doing under the circumstances? Your God lives within you. You're on top of the circumstances. You're not under the circumstances. Well, he was a bit of a crazy man, but he had a point. Because when we go through struggles, when we go through isolation, when we go through these, these things that can overwhelm us, it is so easy to keep focused on those things that trouble us and feel like we are overwhelmed by them. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because we are never alone and because we are never powerless, we have authority over those circumstances. It's not a magic formula where we can wave our hand to make everything the way we want it to be. <clears throat> but it means that we can never be prevented from fulfilling what God's plan is for us. Nothing can hold us back. As Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church because the church marches forward. You ever notice that gates don't come marching at you. We march forward into the gates of health and tear them down. We overcome the circumstances that beset us. We are not overwhelmed because we are never alone and we are never powerless. The power of God that rests within us is hidden to be sure. St. Paul says that Christ, the, power, the glory of Christ is hidden within us until Christ's glory is revealed to all. It is hidden, but it is there. And we need to turn ourselves around, quit focusing on the struggles and the troubles that seem to overwhelm us and focus on the one who has overcome them. Don't focus upon our lack, focus upon our provider. Don't focus upon our sickness, focus upon our healer. See Christ transfigured in our lives and let his transfiguration transfigure us. Because whatever we face, we are never alone and we are never powerless because we have been given the grace of the presence of the overcomer. He who has overcome the world dwells within us. And whatever we face, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we, through Christ, shall be victorious.